Here comes Milwaukee. Forbes another three. Oh, no! <laughs> this is the Random Scrub Heat Podcast. Welcome to the Random Scrub Heat Podcast. I am your host, LJ Cascon. I have Hot Take Harrison. I have the thunder from down under George below me. And we are talking about the most impactful player on the Miami Heat today. Number 55, Duncan Robinson, playing towards his contract. With Duncan Robinson now, since the hero injury too, the Miami Heat have won seven straight games. They have not lost since we started potting again. I still have not changed my underwear. That's still unrelated. But a fact remains a fact. We said it on the Zaslow Show. We say it again now. Seven straight wins for the Heat. Duncan Robinson's game has aged beautifully because every day is his birthday. So with every day being Duncan's birthday, you have to age and mature. So I am bestowing upon him the new nickname of Vermont Cheddar because he's been aged to perfection and he knows what he's doing. There's no Swiss cheese on that defense anymore. He's not a great defender. He's not even a good defender. He's just serviceable. And he's not getting fouls called on him every time the person he's defending has the ball. It's a step in the right direction. And I'm very proud of Duncan Robinson for what he has done for this team. He has put, since the last time we potted, by the way, he has put Victor Wembanyama. He froze him in his tracks. He hit him with the froze zone, and he has not recovered since, despite the NBA still saying he's the best defensive player in the league, yet Victor is anchoring the worst defense in the NBA. But that's besides the point. The other night against Brooklyn, Duncan hit an Allen Iverson-esque layup. His rim pressure is consistent. He's doing all of this, despite most of it not being jump shots. That's consistent. He Against the Spurs, he scored 26 points, and four of them were three-pointers. That's huge. How many points of that? What was it, 14 other points coming not from three? That, that's that's quick maths, by the way. Absolutely insane. I, I cannot believe the growth that we're watching from Duncan because he, he's been called upon to do this. And that's honestly, I think, been a, ma- if not the major catalyst, a major catalyst in the seven-game win streak. So I want to start right now with Harry, a brand new segment on the show that we're debuting right now. Three minutes in, we're debuting this. It's called Seven Minutes in Heaven. And I need Harry to just go in a closet with Duncan Robinson right now and say nice things for seven minutes. Not really seven minutes. Just go as long as you want to, Harry. It can be seven seconds if you want. I'm not your father. You make your decisions. Um, I mean, it's hard to argue with the way he's playing. He's arguably our best like penetrator on the team. There's just no one else that's getting into the lane at the rate that Duncan's doing it. As you mentioned, he, um, you know, he obviously is very confident. You mentioned the layup he took. You said Allen Iverson-esque. Yeah, it was kind of like Kyrie Irving-esque up and under yesterday. Um, Shooting threes with reckless abandon. And uh, he's been... You know, he hasn't really been the guy that I watched for many for many years. Even the guy that came out, you know, shooting 45% from three when he started his career. He's just kind of diversified his game. And this is kind of the guy that the Heat needed because with Tyler out and you were missing a big uh, scoring 
punch. You know, Tyler is averaging 25. You needed these games from Duncan, and he's delivered. Um, I think some nights he's been the best player on the court, and he's just more of a seamless fit in the starting lineup for this group. Like, they tend to just – things flow better. The ball movement's very good. If you watch a lot of these highlights when he's uh, making the three or making the layup, like the ball's moving. It's Chris. It doesn't stop at all. And um, he's also staying on the court, which you mentioned. He's just not picking up fouls at the rate he was. He's diversifying his game. And I think what's frustrating about this is that we've been kind of talking about that Duncan needed to do this. We no, None of us knew that he could play at this level and get to the hoop at, at the rate that he is. But we were like, hey, man, you don't always have to shoot threes if, you ha- if, you, if your gravity is so good that people are flying by you when you pump fake. Take it in and dish it to, a, to the corner or take the layup or – and he just seems like – I'm not sure if he's just worked on his handle so much that everything else has kind of come naturally. The fact that he has so much confidence in his dribbling is that he doesn't have an issue putting the ball on the floor. Like he doesn't even think about it. It's just like kind of a natural uh, movement now if he's not going to take the open shot. And it's led to a lot of easy looks for the Heat, a lot of easy looks for him. And it's kind of opened up the game for them. They just, they're a lot of times running offense through him and they're not just, um, you know, they're not just doing dribble handoffs because he can dribble and get to the hoop or he can um, go around screens. I mean, he's, you know, been one of the better ball handlers for the heat, especially if you could probably argue right now that the heat don't really have uh, a trusty point guard that they can depend on night to night. So He's been what they needed, and that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to, I'm not going to apologize. I think that's a waste of time. I think people do that just for attention. Um, you don't have to be sorry about takes, even if they end up being wrong. He wasn't a very good basketball player. And- you gave me three minutes, and honestly, that's three minutes more than I thought I was going to get. So thank you very much, Harry. I appreciate that. It, t- it takes a man to admit that Duncan Robinson is playing good basketball. We have three men on this podcast, and it's been. Just joyous to watch. And you mentioned their offense when they're running it through Duncan mainly. This is a team that, for the better part of the last two years, just runs ugly basketball. It works most of the time, but it's ugly. And it's it's okay to admit that they don't run the flashiest brand of basketball. They're not Showtime LA from the 80s. Like they're just that's not them. And that's okay. But when they're running offense through Duncan, for whatever reason, it it shows you that this team can actually put a pretty product on the floor. It's entertaining watching Duncan run sets with Bam. It's fun watching Duncan still, which we haven't mentioned now, seven minutes in Duncan's still the best lob passer. This team has, which is that's we we've known that to be true for a while now, but just saying it in conjunction with everything else we've been saying is also just insane. The fact that we've gone on seven plus minutes now about Duncan Robinson is, is, is phenomenal because Vermont cheddar is just, Oh, chef's kiss. George, do you want to get in talking about Vermont? I don't know what Vermont is, but that's that's fine with me. Uh, <laughs> I will uh, <laughs> I will talk about 55 some more, though, and I'll point out one thing, and it's how sure he's looked with his overall game, over, especially over the last four games, not to mention the seven that we won straight. But over the last four, he's looked – like he's taking that opportunity to be the starting shooting guard very seriously. And he's heard that he's heard the cries. He's heard, you know, the, the constant bickering 
amongst the, the Mr. fans saying that he doesn't do enough. He doesn't put his best foot forward. He doesn't, he hasn't excelled in this and that. I, I struggle to find a hole in his game over the last few games, which is, I, I mean, if I'm nitpicking, there's still a couple of things, but what are you going to do? You can't have everything you want. But over the last three, over the last four games since he started, 20 points, four rebounds, three and a half assists, half still half a block a game on 46, 47 from the field and 41 from three. It's, it's super, it's super impactful as well. They're not just empty stats. When he hits a three, you feel it. He does, you know, he, he got the ball off a jump ball the other day, dribbled up to two steps, nailed the three. Whenever they come in, you know, a team is, is, gaining on us and we've had some very questionable fourth quarters he, he seems to put them to work to rest i mean that was jimmy's job today but i um oh yesterday i don't know what time you're going to listen to this but he's he's looked like he's really assumed the mantle of the player that we needed versus the player that like he wants to be you know and and that's more than i can say for someone else on this team but we won't get into that yet Duncan, at the moment, has done nothing but good things. And if they continue, they continue. But at this rate, I don't expect to see him out of the sun lineup for a little while. He's I, that That's a good segue, too, because a lot of people have been having discourse about Tyler Hero. Duncan replaced him in the starting lineup for all intents and purposes. His shots have become his shots. More or less, not as many, but it's 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 been very interesting to see the the offense flow a little bit better. I I know Harry and George have a different opinion on this than I do. I don't think that Tyler Hero should not come back and play for the Heater. That you should trade him just because you're having success now. I think Dunk or Duncan just sits better in the starting lineup. I think the offense is, like I said, prettier. It flows more naturally, and your bench goes from being just a, a mediocre run of the mill bench to an elite bench if you have Tyler Hero coming off the bench. You've seen it both times that Tyler Hero came off the bench and produced for the Heat was the bubble run where they made the finals and then his six-man-of-the-year run. I don't really count that year in between because the Heat had, what, two months off between the season and then the next season. So it's like I give a little bit of grace there. But when you've seen Tyler come off the bench for the Heat, his game just flourishes. He He plays phenomenally well. He's a much better player today than he was two years ago when he won six man of the year. I know that's, that's a completely different conversation and they're not really that comparable, but Russell Westbrook just said he'll come off the bench for the betterment of the team. And now Tyler's young. He doesn't really need to do that. It's not really his job to do that, but you, you kind of look at what this team needs and what they currently have. If they have a, an, the best scoring punch off the bench that in the entire NBA, if which is what they'll have if Tyler does come back and, and feed off the bench. I don't think Spoh's going to do that, so I do think it's kind of a moot point. But you're, I just can't see how you see your starting lineup, which has struggled with Tyler in it from a defensive standpoint, from a scoring standpoint. Even though Tyler gets his, the ball doesn't flow as well as you're seeing it flow now. Bam has become the number one option for most of these games too with Tyler out. That's why you've been seeing Bam put out these astronomical numbers, dunking all over DPOY candidates and just having this massive revenge tour, which is just so much fun to watch too. If Tyler comes back and even is in the starting lineup, I, I'm worried that that might detract from Bam a little bit. Jimmy's now getting it going again in, 
it was an in-season tournament game against the Hornets. So, of course, you know, Jimmy was going to bring his A game. But last night against Brooklyn, that was just a normal regular season game. And that was the best Jimmy game we've gotten this year. Right off the back of his second best game you've gotten from Jimmy this year. So, I feel like it's really indicative of the ball movement, the flow of the offense. They're playing so freely. The ball movement is insane. They have had so many crazy good ball movement plays where they're just passing, passing, passing. Good shot, pass again, great shot. They're playing basketball in just such a pretty way. And I've said it multiple times already now, this team's not known for that. So the fact that they're doing it now, I, I'm a big fan of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Just because you have an extremely talented player coming back from injury soon, I feel like off the bench is his best role. I feel like he can contribute the most there is what can get this team not over the top because I still think they need to make additional moves to be able to put them over the top. But I think that's the best role for Tyler. What do you guys think about Tyler when he comes back? Let me get on this first real quick. The, The reason, in my opinion, why Tyler was such a great bench piece is because there's nothing in his game that's that screams quiet. You know, he's never going to be a quiet player, He'll never quietly put up 28 points. He wants to do it the loudest way possible. Now, for the betterment of the team, not that I'm saying that he's bad for the team or anything of the sort. I'm saying that for him, coming off the bench where he could dictate the offense, where he was a one-man wrecking ball, really, really putting up great, you know, was it 22 points a game or 21 points a game off the bench? Uh, it, it flows well with his game and then allows him to do what he needs to do off the bench. But coming back into the starting lineup, the, the biggest thing I've seen over this stretch of games that he's not been involved in is the added accountability on Bam and Jimmy to put the ball into their hands and to, to distribute the offense through them. And it's a really great, it's a really great thing. It's a really great thing when you see Bam getting involved as much as possible. There's a direct correlation between Bam touching the ball and Jimmy versus Bam, Jimmy, and Tyler. When Tyler was averaging 75 touches a game and an average, an average of four seconds holding the ball, you really see slow down offense. You really see, like, regardless of the fact that he was shooting 41% from three, 40, you know, 48% from the field, it's fantastic. It's really great to see from Tyler. The problem is, this team doesn't run one-man offense, uh, offenses. It never has and never will. It's not, you go get yours and we'll play around you. If you, if if Tyler here, which he has got no intention of doing, nor should he, like, to the nth degree, replicate what Duncan Robinson is doing and do it, you know, do it on less less shots. When you get the ball in your hands, you, you do one of three things. You shoot it, you take one dribble to then shoot it, or you, you pass. You know, there's no over dribbling. There's no need to over dribble. There's no need to do any of this stuff. But coming back into the lineup, which he's going to do probably in two weeks' time, probably two and a half weeks, uh, I, I, before it's cleared to play, I guess it's probably been nearly three weeks now. But until then, you really see that the added accountability from other players as well in in Harmer Harkes Jr. and uh, Hayward Highsmith, who's been fantastic defensively for this team. Kevin Love's really put in a good shift. Kyle Lowry had a really good stretch of games um, when Tyler was available. But at the same time, getting these plays more involved really it just lifts the offense and the defense of this team so much more than when Tyler's in. I feel like there's, there's a sense of urgency in our game when Tyler isn't playing. That's, that's basically the point I'm getting at. But 
it's going to be interesting to see what Spo's going to have to do because if we're winning, <laughs> I'm not saying we're going to get we're going to win every game until Tyler gets back. But if the winning ways continue, it's going to be very difficult to see, you know, where where he fits or where like where what he's going to do with this with this you know incredibly great young player. Like you already see what's he going to do with Caleb Martin? He's now healthy to play. He hit two out of four shots. He only played, I think it was like 16 minutes today or 15. How's that going to progress? I feel like that's going to be a pretty key indicator of how Spoh going to treat a player like that because Caleb had every intention of starting at the four before the season started and before he's this injury. But all right, we're going to see what Spoh does and hopefully the Heat keep on winning because it's it's just really great to see. They're also having lost since Haywood Highsmith got into the starting lineup, but you know that's a, that's a different conversation too. Harry, how do you feel about the whole Tyler situation? And also, the Heater eighteen and one all time, and Haywood Highsmith starts. I did so not know that stat. That's eighteen eighteen and one. Um, so yeah, he's he's kind of been the four they've been searching for. But in terms of Tyler, um, my thoughts are like this, and I think George did a good job at like highlighting some of the differences there. I think if you were if Tyler was purely a shooter, kind of like what you were seeing from Duncan over the last few years, and you were just like trying to incorporate him back in, that would be a simple adjustment, right? You just bring a guy back in and he'd be looking for threes and that's it. But Tyler's a guy who seems to really want the ball in his hands. I don't think he's as good playing off the ball. And I think around Jimmy and Bam, that's kind of what you're looking for. You need guys that can play off them, that can cut. And that's why this new version of Duncan has been so effective. Uh, I thought Zazla made a really good point last week. We kind of asked him, like, hey, what did you think about the Heat run? Like, why were they winning without Tyler? He was like, because Jimmy was taking more shots. And Jimmy's a, Jimmy's a more efficient player. So if if one player's out and your better players, like uh, George mentioned, Jimmy and Bam are now taking more shots, that's going to lead to more efficient offense. And I think the other thing, and I mentioned this on a spaces that Royals was hosting, I think this was yesterday. Um, I think a lot of this is – the heat putting Tyler in a bad position for basically what his game is and what they expect him to do. And they've taken a bet on Tyler. They drafted him. I, like I said, they drafted him 14th. He's been a very good lottery pick for them. There's no argument about his skill set and what he's done, you know, for a guy to become the player he has at a young age with the 14th pick. It's a good draft pick. There's no issues with the pick, but now they've paid him his second contract. He's making $27 million. Um, and to me, like the contract and money starts to matter now. It didn't matter as much when he was a rookie and he's making four or five million. It does now where there's more pressure on him. That's why they put him into the starting lineup because he wanted to start and he wants the accolades and, you know, maybe he thinks he's an all-star and he wants some of that success. And the problem is that if he needs to take, you know, a lot more shots to get his points, that's not helpful for an offense that, that has had issues scoring the basketball as its current iteration of this team. And so my thought has been, and it was, it was definitely solidified when he got hurt last year, is if you don't have to worry about his, his issues on defense and you can essentially fill in his role with a more diverse version of Duncan, the, the really competent play you're getting from a guy who is a rookie. I know he's older and – you know, there's obviously a reason why they took a guy who spent four years in college, but just very competent play down the stretch from Jaime Hawkins Jr. Um, 
there's just it's less it's like less mistakes, right? The ball there's not as many turnovers, right? A lot of Tyler's game is trying to create and doing a bit too much and having really bad turnovers. I just remember the last full game he finished, that Lakers game was a lot of bad shots, a lot of turnovers. And if he's not getting to the basket and not getting free throws and not scoring efficiently efficiently you are really putting him and the team, I think, in a bad spot. I'm not blaming him for the collapses because, I uh, like we've said on here, a lot of those collapses are mental. They just take their foot off the gas, and the other team are very good NBA players who can score you know, 15 points in three minutes. But they've put a lot of pressure on him about what they expect from him, what they need from him. And the truth is, with Jimmy and Bam and the way they've carved out roles for everybody else on the team, you need a guy that can penetrate and get to the basket uh, and can get easier shots for Bam or kick it out to the corners to the shooters. And you need a you probably need another, you know, another wing. You probably need a Caleb Martin that you can trust to stay healthy and take the big time shots. You know, you essentially need a version of what you got from Caleb in the Eastern Conference Finals when I think he was probably the MVP of that series. So that's what you're looking for. I just don't know if you're getting it from Tyler, whether that's because he is having trouble staying healthy, whether that's because even though this is his fifth year, he hasn't really learned to play off the ball as much as he needs to and as much as probably it would help him and the team. And, you know, I just think he's a guy that, that ends up dribbling a lot to not do much. So, LJ, you mentioned kind of like the ball moves better. That's because these guys aren't taking unnecessary dribbles. They're not, you know, they're not dribbling out of boredom or dribbling because they don't know what else to do. They are catching the ball and looking for the next guy. You do not have to dribble the basketball uh, in the half court to, to have an effective offense. Um, you know, you dribble when you're trying to get to a place. But if you're simply dribbling – to find another spot that's going to lead to a tough two. I don't think that's effective offense in today's NBA. And I don't know if this is, again, I don't know if this is hundred percent Tyler's fault because I don't think it is, but I do kind of believe that if he's not willing to accept the bench role and he's going to force his way back into the starting lineup. And obviously he's going to want to close as well. I just think you're asking for some of the issues that came up before this is now, you know, they won the first two games with Tyler in there. Um, the Lakers game was, a, you know, basically just a a, a miss-off, a, a clang fest down the stretch. They were No one scored in the last two, two minutes and 40 seconds. And he got hurt fairly early in the Memphis game. So now they've went on to win, you know, five games without him finishing the game. And I think they need to think about it. I understand that they, you know, people say, hey, the Heat really like him. They like his attitude. They like what what he's done. All that stuff is great. At some point, you have to, if you're really trying to win and contend, I don't even know if it's about spending as much money anymore. It's about balancing the books to figure out who makes sense on this team. And my thought is long-term, whether it happens this year or not, finding, finding pieces for Lowry's salary, and eventually Tyler's is going to be what, you know, gets this team into contention to to really win a championship. Now, they were in they've been in the finals two the last four years. You know, you could argue they've always had a shot. 
the bubble was unfortunate because of the injuries. I don't know how much of a shot they had last year. You know, even if Jimmy was 100% healthy, Jokic was a monster. But I really think if you want to win, you need more of that balance. And this this lineup with all these wings that can defend has been very helpful for this team. It's why they're able to close these games down the stretch. I don't care about the schedule because they struggled against shit teams. Like the first game of the season, they couldn't close out Detroit. Who What, what have they lost now? Eight, nine in a row? So your argument is to me is moot because they've had trouble closing down bad teams before. So just because they're beating bad teams, it's the way they're winning and the way the ball's moving. And, you know, I'm happy to be wrong. I hope Tyler comes back and is amazing and super efficient and the team continues to win because that's what we all want. We want them to be in the best position for a seed in the playoffs where they can have as many home games as possible to win. But I kind of expect there to be some issues and I, I hope they can recognize it. Like if there's an offer out there that makes this team better, even at the, you know, even at the get at, even if you're getting rid of Tyler, I think that's something they might have to think about. I was waiting for George to jump in there, but George, oh, uh, you don't want to go in? I was, I was, I was doing a little research as well. I was just going to put this out there. In the Heat's first five games, the record was one and four, and Tyler Hero averaged 22.2 shots a game. In the three games. His last three games played before the injury, including the injury game. I know it skews the stats a little bit, but it still makes the same point. Um, he was averaging was it sixteen points, so sixteen shots a game, which is just like it's it's a significant decline in shots. It's a re- it's a very very big decline in shots, and I feel it has actually a light. It's fourteen shots a game, so it goes from twenty two to fourteen, and in those fourteen games, in those fourteen shots, we weren't all three games. And then we've continued to win past that. Now, I'm not saying that he's not a good player. I'm not saying he can't shoot. I'm saying that in the flow of the offense, less is more. And less is more is not always a bad thing. It allows him to be more efficient. It forces him and puts the accountability on him to be more efficient in those less, like in the least amount of shots. And, you know, if you end the game 14 points or 15 points, it's okay. If the team wins and, and you allow... Bam and Jimmy and even Duncan Robinson, Harme to get his shots. These these shots are integral to the, you know and very important to getting this team back to its winning ways. And we've seen that in the four games he's been out, the ball's been shared beautifully, crisp, incredibly well, and nothing but improvement can can be can be had from that. You just have to learn from the stats of when you've been out from when you've been in. I, I also want to, George and Harry, you both mentioned Hame. And I j- just hand up, can we all just admit that a lot of the time us fans are just idiots, absolute idiots, thinking about Cam Whitmore. We want, and who knows what he could be? He probably wouldn't have helped the team this year. And when I looked at Hame's highlights and everything, we watched his stats. He wasn't a great three point shooter in college. He wasn't. We forgot to, at least me. I forgot to factor in the Spo bump. Forgot to factor in that, hey, he's going to get a bump because Spo is just incredible and he makes the players that play for him better. Hame's shooting great from three. He's playing every minute of the fourth quarter. He's defending his ass off. He just plays basketball so smartly. Like, the, the dude is just playing basketball 
with such a high IQ, he's making such timely cuts when the shot clock's going down and, and teams are kind of keying in on somebody who think they're going to ISO. He backdoor cuts, gets a wide open dunk, or he backdoor cuts and gets an alley-oop from the one time that Lowry's going to throw a good alley-oop pass. It, it's, it's really fun to see how the impact and the trust that Spoh's giving him so early on in his career. And I know four years in college, he's older than uh, Nicola. Like, I get it, I get it, but... I didn't expect his impact to be this high this early. I don't know many people that did expect this. I don't know many people that did expect him to shoot this way. We all knew that he had the Jimmy-esque kind of bag in the mid-range where it's like if an offense is bogging down and you need a shot, a mid-range shot from him is a good one. He's he's bailed them out a ton when in a stagnant offense while well, he'll just hit like a, a mid-range elbow jumper. And that it, those, those are the type of shots that kill other teams' runs and, and kind of evens out your offense. I just wanted to say... I was wrong about Hame, at least for the time being. In the in the sample size that we've gotten so far, I didn't think he would be this impactful. But moving on to the rest of what we usually start our show with off with the week cap, the Hawks the, go, going through a little bit here through the games that we haven't talked about since their previous win or their win streak that which is now seven. Like I said, it's the longest win streak the Miami Heat have had since 2017. You know who else was on the team in 2017? Josh Richardson. Accountability Cal- right there. Consistent. Kelly Oubre. Not Ke- Kelly Kelly Olenek. Kelly Olenek, but he's not here now, George, so that's irrelevant. You son of a bitch. Stop trying to shove your agenda Wayne on Ellington. Me. He was all – now we're just saying names. Just having Goran Dragic. Goran Dragic was also here. Hassan Whiteside. He, unfortunately, he was also here. I can confirm. Willie Reed. Was he on 2017? I definitely there somewhere. Chris he was. He was our Chris Silva. No, he was he oh, was he, our Chris he was Chris, Silva. Before. He walked he, so Chris Silva could run. Could run. Thank you very much. You're welcome. All right, Josh Richardson though is here now. The only player here now from that last seven game win streak. Josh Richardson's in the room with George. If you watch the YouTube uh, stream that we have, you'll see Josh Richardson behind George right now. It's actually crazy. George, George, don't touch him there. George, stop it. George, it's not appropriate. Okay, so they they beat the Hawks to start. His hands are so soft. Yep, see, now you're not doing yourself any favors. You're not beating the allegations. The the Heat beat the Hawks, who they lost the last five of six to. That's a good win. The Hawks aren't a great team, and they never will be. But that, that's a good win for a team that had your number, same as the Nets, who they just beat. The Nets have had the Heat's number. You beat them there. That, that's a good win. They were undermanned. There was no Jimmy. They still found a way to beat them. Bam on the back of Bam, just going insane. Adam Driver clapped cheeks in the Peach City, dropped a career-high 20. It's just, it's light work. And then the Spurs, we already talked about with headband Bam, outplaying Wemby. He outplayed AD previously. He outplayed JJJ. Like, Bam's out for revenge here, and it it, it was very adamant in that Spurs game where it was like, you, Wemby hasn't done anything in this league yet. He baptized him, basically, just by Elijah Wan-type sh- shimmy shakes, and it, it was really, really fun to watch. We already talked about Duncan absolutely freezing him in time, having him look like a fucking caveman in BC times and a block of ice. Crazy, just crazy to watch. Seven minutes in heaven. Harry already gave it to us. I love it. I was there for the Hornets game. Jimmy was Jimmy. He settled down that offense when the Hornets made a run in that fourth quarter where we thought, don't do it. We all wanted to tweet at the Heat, at Miami Heat. Don't do it. You're up by double digits in the fourth quarter. Don't do it. Jimmy slowed down the offense, got to the free throw line a ton. I don't have the exact number in front of me, but that's what Jimmy does, right? In the fourth quarter, when things are getting a little ornery, Jimmy will get to the line. He'll settle down the offense. He does what he needs to do. And then Hame Hawkes again playing every minute of that fourth quarter. Hit big-time threes. 
to answer Hornets threes. Like I know we're talking about big time threes against the Charlotte Hornets. That's where we're at. All right. Just let us have this. They just keep winning. So I want to ask you guys, what's been your favorite part of this seven game win streak so far? Um, I'll take, I'll take one that you just kind of mentioned and I have two, but I'll, I'll see if George touches on it before I steal both. Um, so it's definitely that, uh, Jaime's played every minute of the fourth quarter in the, in the streak. It shows a lot of faith in him. He really hasn't made a lot of mistakes, right? Sometimes you think like, yeah, you play the rookie, let him, let him mess up and he'll learn from it. Um, you haven't really seen it. He's just. Very calm, cool, and collected. I think you can kind of tell that when they interview him after the game. He's just—it just sounds like a guy who's kind of been in the league for a few years. He doesn't sound like a guy, you know, who's in his twelfth um, game of his career. So that's been pretty big for me, and it's because of what you mentioned, LJ. It's not that like I was also wrong about the pick and about the draft. I find that my issue with the draft is usually. I don't really need the heat to keep the pick in this era of where they are and how close they've been. So it was kind of like, if we're going to move it, take the guy with the most upside. Cause I don't think like there were other teams that liked Hawkes and he probably would have been a top 20 pick, but I don't know. I didn't know at the time. I didn't know if the Blazers wanted him or those were my, more of my thoughts. Cat uh, have not had not watched a lot of UCLA basketball, so I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say you could say that the 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 Blazers could definitely use a player like Hamayakas, though, couldn't you? Uh, he would. Pro- he's looking like he could be the best part, <laughs> the best thing they could have gotten uh, in this and what they ended up getting for Dame Lillard. But um, you know that's their own fault, and Joe Cronin is a terrorist. But anyway, um, we are. You know, we're really watching this kid grow, mature. George talked about like his clutch three-point shooting. He is very he's just a very calming presence out there. No one looks no one looks crazy when he uh when he's out there with them. The plus minus numbers are really good. I think um him and Jimmy together have been really good. Him and Bam have been really good together. So he's fit in kind of seamlessly, and it's nice to see because you know, he got injured in spring in um, summer league, so he played the one nice game and then got hurt. He did the same thing in the preseason, and you're like, shit. Um, the last thing we can really afford is for this guy to be getting injured all the time. But you know, if he's if he can be out there, he's making an impact. I don't really care about the stats. I mean, obviously, listen, if this guy's scoring 15 plus or um, you know filling up the stat sheet, that's great. But it's just more like he's a plus player out there. And I knew that before the scoring. I mean, I, I watched him lock down LeBron on back-to-back possessions without any type of uh, care in the world. As if he, like, he wasn't shook that he was going against one of the greatest players of all time. So I've enjoyed that. I think that's been real stabilizing. Like his minutes have helped a lot. And I'm not exact. So when people are saying, "Man, what do they do when Caleb comes back?" I don't know. Like if Caleb, I think Caleb played 12 minutes last night. You know, keep it around 15, whatever, until he feels better. But, yeah, keep doing the high main minutes. So all 12 of the fourth and whatever else you can get out of him because he's been a revelation, um, and they just need to keep doing that until it doesn't work anymore. What about you, George? What's been your favorite part of the seven-game win streak? Don't say Chris Silva. He's not even playing for us. He's not even on the roster. I don't know how your brain works. You still no think one, that no Jamar Bouye is on the team. Take it back. 
Take her back right now. Okay. Ow. We've covered Duncan Robinson. We've covered Jaime Harkes. I'm going to go something a bit more mainstream. Uh, it's going to be Bam. Bam has just been absolutely phenomenal. And we talked about the other day that Bam was headed for, you know, if history serves serves correct, um, he was headed for a down game. Because usually after four or five really good games, he'll have a kind of a quiet performance. And that performance was last night against the, uh, the Brooklyn Nets, where he still put up 27 and four, which is such an, you know, for a quiet game where he didn't take on the offensive load that much, it was really important and really like it was, you know, really important for him to have that sort of rest, I would say. But to have that game as your quiet game is, is, just phenomenal. Shows a real growth on his on his half as well. And uh, I forgot who was saying it before, but Spoh's done something really interesting with the lineups where they kind of had Jimmy out there doing his thing, and then were staggering his minutes. And then when he came off, you know, came off the floor, Duncan and and Bam would really take that mantle and, and a lot of the offensive load on as well. And I, I Spoh's just done, and that's another guy over over these last seven games who's really had his moment to shine. Spo with his rotation, with his his uh, whatever he's been doing has been fantastic for this team, and it's really great to see. You know, where other teams where I've watched and most people can understand really don't have that sort of uh, you know overbearing coach. In a, and I mean that in a good way. Someone who has you know he's saying most things, but his systems get run perfectly, and he's been phenomenal over these seven games as well, and. I'm going to say my favorite, also another favorite of mine, is just how lost other teams look when we've got it flowing. When Duncan is, he's swatting the ball away. When and then we shoot, you know, we score three, and then we'll come back on the other foot. We'll swat it away again. Jimmy will get the steal, and then three perfect passes to an open dunk for Bam. It's just how lost these teams look when we're at our best, and and it, it's very playoff reminiscent. It feels like because we're. Well, I'm not saying we're playing like you know this team plays as well now as they will down the track. I'm just saying that it's such a a, a rare thing to see Jimmy Butler perform so well earlier on in the season as well, and just this team to go on a seven win streak is nothing nothing easy, especially in this league in this current state where every team is well at least ninety percent of the teams look very very good with a couple of exceptions in there, but I I. I I'm just interested, interested to see who's like who's actually going to knock this team off in their current state. I really don't see it. I don't see how any team can match up with what we've been going on. And if we fire on all cylinders, I I don't see where that's going to where that's going to happen. You got a good matchup against the Bucks very very soon. Easy. That might be easy. Easy. GGs. That team is built wrong. If we can go quickly for a quick second and switch over to our uh, you know our Bucks format. That team is built terribly. What I'm saying, where you've got Damon and Giannis doing their thing, Chris Chris Milton's looked terrible. Like, and that's that's putting it lightly. He's looked subpar compared to what he usually puts out. But that team, their bench is is lacking. Uh, and and the funny thing is, they're still winning games. They're still winning games. But when it comes down to it, further down the se- season, and if they don't make some additions and some you know, adjustments in their rotation, it's going to, might not be that great over there in Milwaukee. 
I'm eager to see how that take ages. Harry, how about you though? I know you wanted to, to add on. Yeah. Um, George, just to go off what you were kind of saying there for a second is I, I don't know how long Middleton is for the bucks. I know they just resigned him, but uh, that's probably a guy they look to move if he's not producing. I know they gave him his money, but there are a lot of bad teams out there that would probably take him even not at a hundred percent thinking he'll get better next year. And so that'll be interesting to watch if the bucks get a little desperate and with the rookie head coach and do something kind of bizarre. We'll see. I could be totally wrong. The other thing I was going to talk about, and I just didn't want to take it because I didn't want to step on your toes if you're going to mention it. So I'm glad you mentioned Bam is just seeing Jimmy performing at a high level, especially the last two nights, especially has been really good for the streak. There were some people on Twitter. Um, I'm not sure why he does this, but he just thought for some reason that, you know, Jimmy was really hurting this year. Jimmy always has some kind of ailment, whether it's real or fake, whether it's in his mind or it's just, there's something, you know, he's the regular season is not where Jimmy Butler thrives. So if you catch Jimmy on a Tuesday night in November, you might not be getting the best performance and that's okay. But you promise him $500,000. If they win, you know, a, a meaningless game in Charlotte, he's going to get up like, like his, um, like his dad. So um, anyway, I just think it's good to see this Jimmy again. He doesn't need to be scoring 30 plus points a game, obviously, but it's the hyper efficiency. It's getting to wherever he wants on the court, getting to his spots. And I don't know if, I don't know if people like Jimmy's game because I don't know how often they watch it, but he's like a maestro on the court. He's very good at picking his spots. He He's very quick when he needs to get by a guy to get to the basket. Um, he's excellent at drawing fouls. And so when you're getting like a masterpiece Jimmy Butler game, it's not all about, you know, if he's hitting the hitting some of the tougher twos that he takes. It's more about is he getting to the basket? Is he doing it with ease? Is he getting by guys? Is he, you know, making the right passes, the drive and dish? And so I think that's been good to see because I don't need 30 points a game from Jimmy Butler, but engage Jimmy – is nice. Um, there was also a crazy stat yesterday. Uh, Jimmy is just not fouling at all, which obviously that's something he's been good at his entire career. I think it's what like him and Kawhi have more steals and fouls in their career or something like that. So, I mean, that's an unbelievable stat to both of their um, defensive kind of acumen, but just the fact that he can still do that as he's getting older, he can really defend without fouling. So that means, I mean, just simply, guys, like I know this is basic math, but that means he's going to be on the court when it matters. You never have to worry, you know, for example, a guy that we make fun of a lot, but he deserves it. Like you just never know if JJJ is going to be on the floor down the stretch for the Grizzlies. You just don't know because that guy can pick up three fouls in five seconds. He's usually not either. Yeah. He's, I mean, they've been closing with uh, Biombo, so. But um, in 2023, Bismack Biombo is getting fourth quarter minutes over the defensive player of the Okay. Uh, I love Bismack Biombo. But anyway, so, um, yeah, just like the, all that the stuff. Other, the other defensive player of the year is also on that same team and is anchoring a team that is the worst in the NBA right now. Yeah, that that's interesting, George, that they're, you know, you got two of the better defenders in the league and they just can't really defend anyone. So don't makes you want the to push those makes awards you think. forward. Hmm. Yeah, but I just, I think that's kind of what you've, you've liked to see. And they're things that are sustainable for the streak, right? They're, you essentially have Jimmy playing well. You have 
Um, Bam just looking very upset at everybody. Um, and you've kind of been given um, – you've been getting the insurance from Duncan, from the guys off the bench, um, because that's kind of what you need when you have an injury to to someone in the starting lineup. hey Simple Health Advisors, primary sponsor of The Basement. You're talking about insurance, Harry? I got some insurance for you. And it doesn't need to be complicated either. You can email them or give them a call today and tell them that The Basement sent you at CFIA, Simple Health Advisors. You can email JPU at JPU at CivilHealthAdvisors.com or you can give them a ring at 321-345-7738. Phenomenal lob, Harry. That was a Duncan Robinson-esque lob. The fact that I can say that and have it be true too is just Again. I'd completely forgotten about that part of the show as well. He he just he brought it back. He did. Harry is in prime form like right now. He's in rare like air. Robinson. I'm the rare air like uh, like Haywood Highsmith. Just you are out 55. We still haven't even talked about Haywood that much either because he's he's just been he's been a, st- a stabilizer for them really. But to George's point too, of Spo just being a mastermind again, he he used to do this thing especially last year that I did not like in the fourth quarter where you would get extended minutes without Jimmy or Bam on the court. And that's when teams would make their run. I don't know if it's because that hasn't happened. Like teams haven't made a run like that or that he's not doing it. I haven't noticed it. I haven't noticed Jimmy and Bam not on the floor at the same time. So maybe they, they they are just not on the floor at the same time and the heat are playing good because they're depth or suppose finally not doing that for extended periods of time. I just don't understand if you're trying to nurse a healthy lead in the fourth quarter. Then you know what healthy is way too advantageous too. It, it, it's if you're nursing like a medium sized lead in the fourth quarter, seven points, you probably want one of your two best players out there to anchor the offense and defense as both Jimmy and bam can do. But I, I think that Spoh's doing a very good job with his rotations. Like George said too. So now as we close, I wanted to talk about something that has been running amok on heat Twitter a little bit. Now it's Zach Levine. There is definitely smoke. Where there's smoke, there's fire. I think there's fire in Chicago. It's it's looking like Zach Levine's probably going to be dealt sooner rather than later. But I think you can kind of take Miami out of that equation for one reason. And one reason only, I think everybody already knows it. But the Heat have reportedly had interest in Alex Caruso and Zach Levine. They have the right salaries that can make that match. Levine would theoretically be a good fit for Miami, I think. He's athletic. He's a wing. He's a good defender. He, he applies uh, significant rim pressure. That's something this offense could use more of. He's a floor spacer, and he's a clutch client. So that ends the conversation because we all know Pat Riley doesn't deal with clutch clients for whatever reason. We all know the reason. But the Heat have enough to get him, I think, with, with how he's been playing this year. He hasn't necessarily good, but has it been intentional? Has it not been for him to get out of Chicago? I don't know. But I, I think your time is spent better elsewhere. I think Alex Caruso makes sense. The betting odds came out for Alex Caruso's next team. The Heat weren't on the list. So that means Miami has a really good chance of getting him because every time the Heat are listed as the top favorite to get a player, you can kiss that shit goodbye. They're not getting that player. They're, they're top on Zach Levine's list. Throw it out the window. Not happening. Alex Caruso, though, mm, I'm interested. How do you guys feel about Levine and Caruso? And what do you think the likelihood is for either of those players. Uh, per- personally, look, we already know that Zach Levine <laughs> and Miami is not on, you know, on, is on paper, pretty good, you know, pretty good fit. He's walking into his prime right now and uh, he's had a pretty slow start of the season. So in terms of trade value, that's where exactly where you want it to be at for a player of his caliber. 
but he has signed with Clutch, and we do not like Clutch as a joint organization. And there's nothing we can do about it. Wink, please fix it. Please fix it now. But <laughs> the the addition of Alex Caruso actually makes too much sense. And I mean like too much sense. Because a defensive-minded playmaking point guard who can kind of score when he needs to as well kind of looks funny, a bit like I'm a fud. But he we, looks a lot like Elmer Fudd, actually. He he really he he's too perfect for this lineup, and I, I feel like if he was, and I, I think I read a no, I, I know I read something uh, just before where someone was saying that he's like the perfectly built Spo player, like he is a defensive minded. He, he is a thousand percent effort up and down the court, and a, a team that is desperate for another guard or a defensive-minded guard at you know, that, he could be special. And, like, I mean special for this team. And I, in terms of the trade package, like, you'll have to ask Harry a bit more, you know, when you give him a bit of time on the on the old trade machine. But would that package is going to look like a first-round pick from us and then a salary filler. But I I'm okay with it. And I mean, like, if you just give him a, a you know top fourteen protected first round pick, uh, and and you know maybe a second if they really want it, bad. But a first should get it done, and there shouldn't be a reason why either side should look, you know, twice at that deal. They're getting a first round pick. We're getting a defensive minor point guard. We're contending. They're not. It's just the way it is. So it makes too much sense. And I know there's some confusion on something I had. Uh, implied before uh, saying that Hero would be better suited for a, for a Levine trade than Duncan Robinson. Not saying that he should get sent here because it's just not it's not likely at all. He's basically a Laker already. I can already see the, the purple and gold under his uh under his jumper. But what are you gonna do? We you know we we I was gonna say we hit some, we lose some, but we don't we haven't hit on any free agents in or trades in a in a in a hot minute. But Hot Tech Harry here will take you through the uh, the the specifics of a trade, if there is one. Um, I think that the Levine discussion is interesting because he's kind of the upgrade that would help the Heat. A lot of it's price dependent, and you know what are the Bulls looking for? Because I was listening to Zach Lowe's pod earlier this week, and he thinks if they do trade him it'll be more of like a salary dump than people are expecting. Maybe they'll get like a pick out of it, but he's not expecting a ton more. And it would obviously depend on which teams were in the mix for him and what happens there. So my thought is like, if you could get him for cheap and you're adding talent to the roster, I'm going to do it. It's also that I don't know why this doesn't happen a lot with heat thinking uh, and fan thinking. You would assume that when the player gets here, he'll be better on the heat being with Spo and being around better guys. So even if he's not the ultimate answer for them, they could move him again in another upgrade. Like Zach, like him in a star pack, for example, right? Like let's say they get him and it doesn't work out. Um, Cleveland would definitely take that guy if Donovan Mitchell's leaving. Like it wouldn't even be a question. And I don't know why there's such like a hesitancy to improve the roster, even if it's a marginal improvement, and then later down the line be like, hey, th- he's not doing exactly what we thought but the cost was good when we made it. And here's like, 
I mean, let me get like just an example. This is not a direct, but like I thought that he made a good trade acquiring Goron. They had a lot of other issues that happened. You know, Bosch got injured the next day and everything. You know, if they thought they were upgrading to Kyle Lowry later on, which we, you know, we're kind of seeing that wasn't the case, but you can make those moves. So like, you know, Goron was great for us. It was the end of his time. Like you can, you can then make the next move to like Goron had gotten hurt. It was the end of his heat career. You can move on to the next guy. It's the same with this kind of move. You could trade for if the Bulls are going to sell him low, and I think, you know, I, I I believe there's a push from his camp to get moved soon. I think it's more if it's not this deadline, it'll be in the off season. So I can't say for sure he's moved this season, but um, you make the move to improve the team, and if it doesn't work out, it's okay. Like that's what you take risks for. I much I'd much rather be the team that takes a risk and it didn't work out than the team that sat back and didn't do enough and then is questioning if they should have done more. So that's my take on uh, Levine Levine. Um, with Caruso, I think he's a great fit. I like Elmer Fudd. Uh, I'm not sure what it would take. I'm assuming they'd want a first-round pick, but I'm kind of wondering, and you guys can tell me if I'm nuts, but Spo obviously does not trust Jovic to play. Like, he can't get minutes even with injuries. And he was a late first-round pick, a guy that they were trying to trade that pick when it happened. And they took the best guy available who they think can obviously grow into a decent rotation player. And if he does, good for him, good for the Heat, good for us. Like, why wouldn't Caleb and that guy get net you Caruso? Like, the salaries match. Uh, you'd have Caruso next year as well based on his contract. So. They, like, the bull, you I, I have a problem the with Bulls that. would misuse I have a problem uh, with Jovic that. the same way. We, we know the Bulls would misuse Jovic the same way they misuse Laurie. I think we know that. And I don't wish that upon Nicola, but if you get Al- if you get Elmer Fudd out of Texas A&M, you kind of have to take it. Are My you thought- saying that you would trade both Caleb and Jovic for Caruso? I would because... I, w- I, would, sorry, I would, would absolutely do it because I think Haywood has filled the Caleb role starting-wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like you're you're not losing that. Hame's filled the closing role that Caleb provided. I still love Caleb, and I'll hold on to him if I can. They're not going to pay him this offseason. They shouldn't pay him this offseason. He has knee I, tendinitis, and he's in his late 20s. I, I would, would not be, pay him. I would not I pay would him. be trading Caleb. <clears throat> absolutely. That's right. There's no problem with that. But... To give up both Jovic and Caleb, even though that their roles are filled, I feel like it's a massive overpay. Massive. Sometimes overpay you have to overpay for a marginal backup point guard in Alex Caruso, and I'm not saying that he's not worth, you know, a first like like I said, he's worth a first round pick, and so is Caleb Martin, and so is George. Jovic is doing nothing to help us win a championship this year. I, I so, think he's not play for I think there's, there's more reasons behind it than than he's not playing because Spro doesn't trust him. I think that there's also a fact that they knew that. Caleb was coming back, and the timing could not be worse for a front court player where where they've right, already but, got it. So they're already fine. where where are they going to fit him in? Unless they're putting a, a, that's my that's guard. you you have made my point. Like he do, he's not he's not going to play. They he literally they literally have. I didn't mean to butcher that. They literally have three guys that are going to play in front of him. So even if you had an injury, he's not the next man up. At this point, he's a sweetener in any deal. And if a team likes him and it gets the deal done, that he need to be thinking about that because the Jovic, that people want the Jovic that they saw some of at the FIBA games this summer, um, the guy that they're going to let run possibly as like a point forward. We're years away from that. And if they're built, if they're trying to win, sometimes you have to sacrifice guys 
you know, to improve the team. And, and if for a guy that's not playing, you know, if you could do a Kyle, Kyle, Caleb, and Jovic and get a Caruso and another piece back, I think you make a move like that. And you there don't think twice about it. There are pieces on the team after those two players that I'd be comfortable with. I, and, wait, so what, and I mean that you're on board. You're on board with keeping Jovic and just absolutely at any, at any cost. I think, like uh, like Harry said, we're years away from the finished product. But when when we have a player like that, and I feel like that the potential is still very high for him. He's only 19, 20, 20. Maybe he's already twenty. I'm not too sure. But I know he can't legally drink. Okay, fair enough. Uh, he can't legally drink yet. And he's still on the roster and has all the potential. We have to also, you know, it'd be negligent, especially as us as analysts and as presenters as we are, to not to neglect the fact that down the line, this team is going to get older, players are going to leave. If you can keep him around, you should. I, I agree and, that it would expedite the rebuilding process without Jimmy. I get that. I, I think the only thing me and Harry are saying is to, to gauge your POV on it, would you, if, if you're the, the Heat and the Bulls say, we'll take Caleb and we only want Jovic, we don't want a first, are you still doing that? No. no. Not to get Caruso, no. that would that would Absolutely then not. bolster your chances this no. year and next year to win a title. No. George, if, George, if your argument is we might need him in three years when you're trying to win a championship now. Jimmy's not going to be here in three years. Yeah, I mean, he that, will, but he's not going to be Jimmy in leveraging, three years. Like, you have to understand who you're dealing with as well. Like, there's no There's no leverage. There's no the, the the Chicago Bulls will not be finessing the Miami Heat into giving Caleb Martin and Jovic, and, and there's I, no I'm, chance. I'm simply giving an example that I would I would package those two guys together in a move to upgrade the team now rather than wait hoping you're hoping you're 100 right on Jovic and that he won't always be a skinny guy that can't defend that that Spo doesn't trust right because it doesn't even matter if he's actually good if the coaching staff doesn't trust him. And there's just a lot of factors at play that I think. Uh, depends on the other pieces. But depends on the other pieces. If it's Caruso and somebody, I need to know who that somebody is if I'm giving up both of them. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm, yeah. I don't know if they would necessarily have to throw anybody else in because I don't know. I, I mean, it's no definitely a fire sale door. in Chicago. I, I'm just saying I, I don't think they're going to re-sign Caleb. I feel like they learned their lesson this last offseason with Gabe and Max. They're not going to make the same mistake again with, with Caleb because, again, he's older. He has knee tendonitis. I'm getting hints of Todd Gurley. He's young and he has knee tendonitis. Well, not young. He's late 20s. He has knee tendonitis. That's not a great combination. I swear to God. If it's Caleb and Jovic and a pick or something like that, and we get back Caruso and Torrey Craig. No, no, no. I, I would not give up Caleb, Jovic, and a first-round pick. for No, just a pick. I said a pick. It couldn't be anything. Second-round pick, I'd say, as a sweetener. But I, I, I would still hesitate. Without the pick, I still hesitate. If it was just look, if it was Jovic for Caruso, like I'm not saying that the deal works because I think he's making nine nine and a half million. If at the top of my head, nine point four something, I don't know. He's got a good Caruso? contract. Yeah, Caruso <laughs> fits. Caruso fits right into the uh, Oladipo trade exception. Trade exception. Like, yeah, we've got. And it would be of... nice to see Miami use a trade exception that they worked to get. Yes. But uh, we're not. We don't. Like I said, Caleb, Caleb in a second round pick should get that deal done, and we should not consider giving up. Jovic as well. We'll see that's, what happens. That's it, not going to that, get it done. That's something George. I'm very interested in, in looking you don't think at. Because... In the second round picks get it done. I, I I feel I feel like Caruso is a perfect player for the Heat, and I, I want to see them tackle that. I want to see them get him because 
it's no longer, you're not whale hunting. You're just trying to get, you're, you're fishing. You're fishing for a nice marlin, right? You're, you're fishing for a good swordfish, something that's going to feed you for a while, not just one meal. That's what you want, and that's what Caruso is. He He's a stabilizing force on defense. He can run your set on offense. He's a good glue guy. He, the Heat haven't had a good white glue guy since Josh McRoberts. I said it, all right? And that's where we're ending the show. George, kiss my ass. Thank you guys so much you for tuning in. You would buy swordfish steaks, wouldn't you? You would. I would do so many things that you don't know about that we won't talk about on a Heat podcast. We hit the one-hour mark. Congratulations, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in and spending some time with your favorite random scrubs, except for George. Fuck you, George. Have a great night, everybody. We love you. Take care. Be good people. Need a stop and a rebound. For you. For three. Oh, my. That was the Random Scrub Heat Podcast.